I'm surprised you can open the refrigerator door without it being a major accomplishment, really, the way the kitchen is. <laughs> you sort of have to I've Welcome to Calls with Paul. On uh, this week's episode, we start by talking to Jeremy. Jeremy is a person who lives in Manhattan. And as any of you who have lived in major cities might know that real estate is a precious commodity. So people will always have much smaller apartments for the money in, in large cities. And Manhattan is, of course, the one of the biggest cities in the world. So my son, for example, Ryan had an apartment in Manhattan and his entire kitchen is smaller than the walk-in closet in our home. Um, I've had friends that went to school at NYU and had apartments. One friend had an apartment that was so small that the bathroom was a toilet and a sink, but there was no shower or bathtub in the, in the bathroom. The bathtub was actually in the middle of the of the kitchen sit area and was underneath the kitchen table. So you would have to lift up the kitchen table, the only place in the apartment that you could eat, to get and take a bath in. So, you know, Manhattan apartments are notorious for being very small, as, as was Jeremy's case in this call. So uh, if we listen in, you can hear <laughs> us trying to work through Jeremy's uh, dilemma of not having so much space. And we even get into some of the other rooms in his, his very small apartment. Hi, uh, Jeremy. Can you hear me? I can. How are you doing, Paul? Good. I looked at your design and, um, you know, the, the biggest issue that you've got is that when they originally designed the kitchen, it was sort of crazy. They really made it very, very tight between this, the sink and your refrigerator area, etc. But if you're going to have it that tight, the one thing you don't want is the refrigerator in back of your sink. So, I mean, that you don't, you should never do your kitchen and without fixing that. So if you've, do you own the property now? Uh, I do. It's currently uh, gutted it to the beams. So, yeah. So, you know, having your refrigerator directly in back of where your sink is, the problem with that is anytime people want to go to the refrigerator, no one can be anywhere in the whole kitchen because you gotta you gotta go through the the whole kitchen to get to the refrigerator. So they interfere someone at the sink, at the dishwasher, all the countertop, everything is disturbed to get to the refrigerator. So the most important thing about when you have this kind of very tight space is that you want the refrigerator located in the open area. So that would be the area that's, you know got the open end to it and i guess you're trying to fit a table in here somewhere too right <laughs> actually uh what i was hoping to do was put a um large counter on the sink side and have a 12 inch overhang so okay. i could put stools underneath and yeah yeah so that solves that problem so then that that works really that works very well and then the other thing i would tell you is do, do you have the, the thing I sent you up, the design I sent you? I do, I do. So, you know, it's got your refrigerator. So you were having a party 
people want to go to the refrigerator and get something. They walk to the refrigerator, they get it, they sit down at the table, I mean, at the overhang, they go back to the couch, you go to the bedroom, you do whatever you're going to do, you're not interfering with anybody. If you switch where your sink and your dishwasher are, then when the dishwasher door is down, it's not in anybody's way blocking anything. And then you can unload the dishwasher and put it in all the cabinets going all the way down the run. And it won't be disturbing anything. And if you're drying dishes or whatever, you put them on top of the dishwasher area. And then the area to your right of the sink is the area that you work at. And then nothing is in back of each other. So if you're at your range, you don't have a person at the sink in this design interfering with you. Mm -hmm. Certainly the worst thing that you do or would ever do is put the refrigerator, which is the deepest, most used thing in back of the sink. So, you know, this and then, you know, then your window forces you to have a shallow pantry on the side of the refrigerator. But that's not a horrible thing. And then you have a panel to the right of the refrigerator. And then the cabinet over the top of the refrigerator can come all the way out if you want. Or you could even make that Mm -hmm. shallow, too, if you wanted it to be shallow and have your refrigerator stick out a little bit more. There's sort of aesthetic reasons why both would look good. But it's really... It's really sort of a no-brainer that you, you'd never, when you have a space, I mean, your space is so tight, you got something like yeah. 28 <laughs> inches or a ridiculous, yeah. I'm surprised you can open the refrigerator door without it being a major accomplishment, really, the way the kitchen is. <laughs> you sort of have to I have, to be, I have to be very careful. <laughs> yeah. But and, yeah, and you, what, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This way, you can open the refrigerator. You can get a wider refrigerator if you want. You can have two-door refrigerator, single-door refrigerator, any kind of refrigerator you want. It's all going to work. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. You have your microwave over your stove. Normally, that's what you would do in a small kitchen like this. Mm. That gets your microwave off of your countertop. If I don't know if they'll let you vent it outside, but if you can vent it outside, you can vent it outside by going over the tops of the cabinets. Maybe put some molding on top of the cabinets sure. and hide it. If they won't let you puncture a hole in the building, <laughs> then you you have it be a self-venting microwave. But then the, it's a light, it's a fan, it's the microwave all off of your countertop. And then you have a whole lot of countertop to the right of the of the range that you can be working at. In fact, you can be at the sink it's really has to be a one cook kitchen, but you can be at the sink and then turn around and yeah. work at the range and have a lot of countertop to be working there. And people can all be going to the refrigerator and getting whatever they need the whole time you're working at the stove and working at the sink. So, um, you know, that, that's that, this, and this is just, you know, it's one version of how you might do it. If you're willing to give up anything, having a table and just having some kind of uh, countertop uh, uh, stool seating on the other side of the sink, then there's a lot of other versions that you might want to consider too. But you might have problems moving like your sink. You're, 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 you're probably, what's, this is an apartment building, how many story? Uh, I'm on the fifth floor of six. So I would think you're going to have a real problem moving your sink from very far from where it is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. But you you can probably get the plumbing lines for the sink into the wall that's in back of the sink. And then you can have the sink. Okay. You can probably get the dishwasher then to the left of the sink instead of to the right of the sink. I mean, if you couldn't do that, 
that wouldn't be as important as moving the refrigerator, but it's definitely a way better kitchen if the dishwasher's mm -hmm. on the left and the sink is on the right of the dishwasher, then you don't have a dishwasher door also coming down and interfering with you being able to work and do stuff. Right. Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. I have a question for you, Paul. Sure. Have you ever met anyone who put a, uh, like, as, as a, I was thinking as a poor man's fix to a drawer microwave, have you seen anyone ever put a microwave just in a cabinet so it can be obscured by the cabinet doors? Now you really shouldn't do that. If you, you mean put it in like a, a a base cabinet and just have doors on it and have the microwave underneath. Yeah, I'm just yeah. I mean, I, just pure curiosity. It, it, you know, first off, it's asking for trouble because you can't see what, especially in your kitchen where you can't leave any doors open because you know no one can walk anywhere. But, uh, you know, heaven forbid you have a fire in the microwave or something. You're not going to even know about it until the whole building is engulfed. Oh, that's a fair It's also not legal. So that would be another reason not to do it, besides the fact that oh, it would be dangerous. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and the third thing is, is putting your microwave over the stove is so much less expensive than if you get any kind of microwave drawer or put your microwave underneath the countertop you know, you're going to create, you're mm -hmm. going to lose a whole, a whole lot of cabinet space and in a small kitchen. So like the microwave going over your stove, that microwave model almost always has a name and it, it has a, a model number and a name. And the name of the microwave is called the space maker, like X four seven. But the name of it, if it's a Kenmore, mm -hmm. if it's a GE profile, if it's a Whirlpool, these microwave hoods, they're almost always called space makers. And the reason they're called space makers mm -hmm. is they only take a little bit more space up than a hood. They get your microwave off your countertop and they give you much so much more space. You get a whole extra cabinet's worth of space. So if you yeah. put your microwave in a base cabinet underneath the countertop, not only would it be dangerous... Um, so, you know, some people would put like a regular microwave underneath the countertop in an open cabinet so that they didn't have doors on it. But then you have to crouch down anyway. And it's like not the, the cabinet, the microwave drawers that people put in base cabinets, they're made to be in base cabinets. So then the, the microwave drawer mm. opens up, you just reach down and pick the thing up from the from the top. And you don't have to crouch down and try to read the controls and everything else. The controls tip out to you when you're standing so you can read them. And then you're accessing everything mm. at the top. But that's a very expensive microwave. That's a $1,200 microwave drawer. And you lost the whole base cabinet or everything but a drawer to, to get it. Whereas in a small kitchen, a microwave hood gets you that same microwave and it's a $300 microwave instead of a $1,200 and you got a whole extra cabinet out of it. Yeah. That does seem like a, a no brainer as well. Then uh, don't, don't like the idea of my kitchen going up in flames. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, the, the one thing that's interesting about kitchen design is that they always say the kitchen is the most dangerous room in the house, but nobody really that knows anything about designing kitchens ever evaluates why kitchens are dangerous. And I would tell you that it's my belief that the reason most kitchens or the reason most accidents and problems happen in kitchens is because they're poorly designed. 
So that's why the kitchen got set on fire was not because there was just a fire on the stove. It was because they put the stove underneath the window and somebody put curtains on the window so that the fire on the stove jumped to the curtains and then the house was on fire where somebody put the microwave in the cabinet and there was a fire in the microwave and the doors were closed and then the house got set on fire. So there's all of these stories as kitchen designers we hear about of all of these calamities and people getting hurt and hitting their, fracturing their skull because there's a cabinet on the wall with nothing underneath it and they can, you know, bend down to pick something up, forget about it, and then have their head on it and all of these different things. But nobody from the insurance company ever identifies it as bad design. They just say it's a home problem and it happened in a kitchen. So if kitchens are designed well, they shouldn't really be dangerous. Yeah, fair enough. So is that why in some cities or many cities, I presume, you aren't allowed to put a uh, a range directly against a wall? Or is that even a, is it even a regulation? Well, if you put a range against a wall, I think there's a, a international building code that most places subscribe to. And an international building code... I believe the code is that if you can't really have the range against the wall, unless you have the wall made out of something fireproof. So if you put tile on the wall, Mm. then having the range against the wall is no longer that much of a hazard. It's still a hazard, by the way, because the handles of the pots can't be turned out. So if you're using the burners that are against the wall, those handles are turned back across the flames of the other burners and you might end up burning yourself. But at least it's not going to set the wall on fire if the wall is is fireproofed with tile or something. But, you know, a lot of localities might go above and beyond. A lot of times the building inspectors determine what the building code is, even if it's not written down in their area. They're the law. So if they don't like something, where a lot of times if they misunderstand what the rules are, they make their own rules that everybody's got to live by. Mm. Um, yeah, no, fair, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Last question for you, Paul. What's your, uh, what's your take on induction ranges? Well, the only thing they work really well, people like them because, you know, the reason people like gas ranges is because the, the, it heats up so fast. So you can, you know, if you want to make a really high burn, if you want to have a a high heat, you're not waiting for the coils to heat up and for the pots and everything to heat up. You turn the gas on high, you're, you know, the the pan is instantly practically hot. And induction will make your pans instantly hot, just like a gas firewood. The the only problem Mm -hmm. is, is you have to use the right uh, kitchenware. So all of your pots and pans have to be made for an induction cooktop. You can't just put like a regular pan on top of the induction cooktop. It's not, it's really not going to work. You have to get new cooking ware. And then you also have to just learn, you know, how to use it. It would be something new, but you know, they're great. They're functional. And then if you don't have gas available, they're the next best solution. I mean, one thing I'd say about your design too is, you know, looking at all the spaces that you have, what's the little angle that's there in your living room? Is that, it's not a fireplace or something, is it? Oh, are you looking at the uh, the floor, floor plan? plan? Yeah, um, yeah. So no, that's a uh, that's currently semi deconstructed. That's a uh, that's a major duct stack. for the building. Oh, it's a stack, um, probably. But but uh, I can actually see that. Does actually much smaller in real life than it looks like on that floor plan. 
just like uh, the the big black box in the lower right corner, you know, at, it was just an empty dumb waiter, and now it's space for the kitchen, which is great. But um, oh boy, that was so crazy having a dumb waiter, huh? Yeah, you you when that was when that was opened up, you could literally see straight to the basement. <laughs> like that's like that's like a solid four flights plus sure. basement level. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know why you'd have a dumbwaiter in an apartment building that's six stories high going through, like, five apartments, but, like, whatever. Can I ask you one more question, Paul? Sure. All right. Flooring in the kitchen. You know, as I mentioned before, right now it's down to the studs. You know, of course, I'm doing, like, a, you know, putting infrastructure in to put a new floor. Can I put wood as a floor in my kitchen? Is, like, bamboo, cork, what, like, what are the constraints or what would you recommend for like a, a nice but like budget conscious kind of solution. Yeah, it's an apartment building, so your floor is concrete underneath everything. No, no. Right now, it's it, it's a pre-war building, so there's it's just wood. We're, we're, we have to put in the subfloor, uh, et cetera. It's like it's, oh, like, really? it's a tabula rasa. Oh, yeah. So, um, well, it, you know, if you're looking for the most indestructible surface, that would be some kind of tile. So um, if you didn't like tile nowadays, what's very popular is people getting porcelain tile that looks like wood. They can it can be distressed mm -hmm. wood and, you know, very uh, it will fool you. If you go to fancy restaurants nowadays, most of the time they're floors that look like distressed wood. They're all actually porcelain tiles that are made to look like distressed wood. So if you if you didn't really like the look of of tile in your kitchen you could have it look like wood and it would then that would look nice but it's hard on your feet and it's cold so I don't know if you want it you want tile in your the other parts of your house so would you continue the kitchen floor out into the your living room or what were your what was your plan yeah so the living so actually I wouldn't the the, the living room and the rest of the house actually is beautiful I think original floors from like 1932 and they're, uh, they parquet. Okay. Um, but, but, but there's a, you know, and honestly, before I tore the floor up of the kitchen, there was, I think there was like no fewer than three or four floors. They were just stacked. Sure. And so there might be like a half inch difference in elevation between the two floors. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, yeah, I, I would think if it was me, I would probably do it in, in, uh, if you do it in hardwood or you continue uh, or first off, the other hardwood will be new and it won't match your parquet. And if you did it in cork or, or bamboo or something like that, you'll have the same issue and it won't be horrible. But if you did it in a porcelain tile that even looked like wood, it will be very, really attractive. It won't clash like the other floors sort of would clash. And then if you install it correctly, like over hardy back, I mean, excuse me, over one uh, cement board and then cement it down yeah. and everything else, it will be indestructible and you won't, you know, you won't, you won't be able to damage it or hurt it. Or if it was cork or bamboo, you'll scratch it, your floor pretty quickly, probably. So um, you'll be touching gotcha. it up or repairing it. I mean, cork is very easily damaged. Usually what happens with cork floors is you, your refrigerator, water line has a problem or leaks, or you want to pull the refrigerator out to clean oh, behind yeah. it. And then all yeah. of a sudden you pull it out and you make a huge scratch on the cork because it's so soft that anything can scratch it pretty much. So uh, heaven forbid you have a pet like a cat or a dog, they'll dig a hole right in your floor.
<laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't sound uh, like a great. The porcelain tile is indestructible. Are you doing anything with the bathrooms too? Yeah, you know what? The bathrooms also uh, gutted right now as well. They're you know neither of them have been touched since like. I would make one big recommendation in your bathroom. Tell me. I would get a single bowl instead of two bowls. And the reason I would do that is that, yeah, that will give you countertop that you can put shaving stuff and, and hair dryers if you're married or everybody will have countertop to use with two bowls in that tiny little space. You have no usable countertop space and no cabinetry underneath because there's plumbing pipes everywhere underneath. If you only had one bowl in your vanity, you'll have countertop that you can use and drawers and open cabinetry below that you can store stuff like cleaning fluids and st- and, and everything else. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a super smart. Do you have a, do you have a take on the um, uh, 24 by 48 inch tile uh, trend? Uh, you know, when you have gigantic, you mean this is for the floor in the kitchen or... Uh, this is, I mean, for the bathroom, I mean, I guess we're deviating from the kitchen a little bit, but uh, you brought us here, so I'm going to ask the question. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a tile, I'm going to do this floor to ceiling tile, and I was just, I mean, I, my understanding is that prior the 12 by 24 inch was like the most popular thing to go with, and now there's a new larger form tile that uh, is being pretty widely used. Yeah, so the one thing about the, the bigger the tile the more problematic it's going to be to install. So for instance, in this 1932 building that you have, you're going to drywall it. Yeah. And then you're going to go to put tile on the wall and you're not going to realize that every stud is crooked in the whole building. And so there's bulges and all kinds (laughs) of things sticking out and you go to put a 42 inch tile on the wall. It's going to be sticking out a half an inch at one end when you're not going to be able to, 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 to adjust it. So if you want to use those kind of tiles, somebody has to get metal studs probably that don't have any bows or bends or anything in them and sister all the studs in your whole room to make your your bathroom perfectly plumb. So perfectly plumb and level. And on your kitchen floor, the same thing. If you want to use gigantic tiles on your kitchen floor, somebody has to put down a mud bed and make the whole kitchen floor one perfectly smooth surface. So big tiles might be great, but you know what? It, especially, are you doing any of this work yourself? I, uh, not no, I'm not. I'm not. Well, you know, even even if you're, you, you know, typically what would happen is you would the homeowner would then hire the the tile guys to do the tile work. They would do actually what would be a good job, but the the materials you selected made their job impossible because they're going to come after gotcha. the whole thing is drywalled and it's too late for them to install the the, the huge tiles in, in any kind of way that looks good. So I would keep to I you know even whatever the the popular tiles are. Um, the people getting them, some are, are going to be completely and totally successful because maybe they have new construction and maybe everything is perfect for them. And also maybe they have gigantic rooms that the tile sort of works better in and everything else. You got small, a small, tiny rooms, not much space and old construction that I think these tiles are going to make your, your, your life, you know, problematic trying to get everything installed. 
Gotcha. So you might go 13, you might want to go 13 by 13 or 24 by 13 as the absolute biggest. And keep in mind, put like a, le a level on the wall, a four foot level on the wall and run it down the wall just to see, you know, if you have any bellies and, and bumps and, you know, bellies are okay. They could be filled in. Bumps are your problem. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. Super, super helpful uh, insight there, Paul. Thank you. And then as far as you're in our, you're somewhere around us, aren't you? You know, it's funny. I actually grew up in, uh, in, in Valley Kenwood, uh, but now I'm closer to uh, New York city. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. So if you're, if you're Manhattan, have you thought about a cabinet brand that you might want to get or style of cabinet or anything else? I've been thinking about like, you know, basic shaker style. My, my thoughts are saying my, my place for, you know, five years and maybe rent it out. Um, and then, uh, you know, I don't want to go too, uh, too expensive, but I want them to be like, not craft. What, what, uh, what, yeah. yeah I, I would tell you that, uh, if you're going to rent this out in five years, then you don't want white painted cabinets. Um, because painted cabinets are way less durable and more difficult to touch up than any kind of stained cabinet. So you're, you're probably better mm. off with a stained shaker cabinet than you would be with, um, you know, a white painted. Or if you're going to get white painted, then after you're done, sell the place and don't rent it out because you're, 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 the people renting it are not usually, um, you know, very delicate with cabinetry and painted cabinet <laughs> is very easy to chip and scratch. And especially when all the spaces sure. are, are, are small, it, you're going to be more likely to have things banging into other things. So um, you'll, you know, your cabinets will get all chipped up. The reason that the paint is the problem is that, you know, the paint is on the surface of the wood. So if you hit it, you'll chip it off. The stain is actually going into the wood. So if you hit it, you might dent it, but the color is still in the wood. So you'll be, you'll have a lot less problems with this, you know, with a rental property and a stained cabinet. So um, brands that you might want to get there are a lot of very reasonable cabinet brands that are right manufactured in Jersey City, so very close to you. So Fabiwood would be one, or CNC is an even less expensive brand, but there are others as well. Um, you're at the hub of the U.S. Uh, brands that have imported doors from Asia, and those cabinet brands are as well-constructed as the most expensive brands that we sell. They're very well-made cabinetry. They're just have a really limited door style and finish selection. So interesting. I would, I would yeah. look at those either Fabiwood is the most expensive and nicest, I think of these inexpensive brands, but CNC is probably 20% less expensive than Fabiwood. And it's still pretty nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, very helpful. I'll, I'll check those out for sure. Uh-huh. And you'll find that they have like gray stains and they have a whole bunch of painted finishes, gray paints and white paints. And you can get a white shaker cabinet from those brands too. And they won't be less durable than the more expensive brands in white shaker. It's just that white shaker cabinetry, which is the most popular cabinetry right now, is just very easily damaged. Got it. 
Got it. Makes sense. You can have professionals touch it up, though. So there are professional furniture refinishers that come out. They'll touch up a whole kitchen and touch up all the nicks and scratches for like $500. So you could, if you had a tough oh, wow. tenant, they can come in at the end and touch it all up. So that's, that's definitely good to know. I mean, you, I, uh, I, I unloaded a lot on you and you gave me some great uh, insight regarding the kitchen layout. So thank you. I think, um, for now, uh, I think I have a, a, a lot of thinking to do. Yeah, absorb <laughs> this and you have stuff to have, you might have to move. But I'll tell you, the one thing yeah. that affects, the thing that affects how much you're, you're, when you rent your, when you rent this place, the thing that will affect how much you get as a rental is the layout of the, the, the kitchen and the whole floor plan of the house. And so that's why, you know, really, if you, correct anything i mean even i you know if you really want to get technical i don't like the you have french doors in the other bedroom do you still have that uh those are right now uh cleared out but um yeah i i, I, w- I was thinking about putting in uh custom eight foot doors in so i mean that's There's really a, expensive but, topic. but would they be french i that was my thinking <laughs> yeah so i mean I mean, that's the thing is that looks really good, but it ruined, you have a small apartment. So these doors have to swing. So when you open them, they swing mm-hmm. into the room and make the living space unusable. So you would be better with a pocket, two pocket doors that don't open into the space. And, you know, you can't have a chair. You can't have, you know, just imagine if you want to keep the doors open from that bedroom into the other room, then you, the, when the doors are open, you, it, you might, they might hit the bed or you can't get past the bed or you can't get you can't have a chair on the wall. If you made them pocket doors or one pocket door, it might not be what you want, but it, you know, it would be less problematic. Or maybe barn doors, if you want to be really trendy. Sure. That would be anything would be better than big, huge doors that open into a tiny space and ruin the the, the we call the space that doors take up travel space so you don't want to make excess travel space in a small apartment so you know there's a lot of good things to be said about not having doors at all there so if you got rid of your doors Mm. then you could then have a couch on that right where those doors are and then the couch you could have a tv on the wall to the left of your stools and then people on the stools could turn sideways look at the tv people on the couch could sit there people on you could have another couch under the window on the other side you could have suddenly your your living room would seat 10 people or nine people comfortably with a tv on the wall you put doors in that space and now it you know it doesn't really even work as a room anymore you just made travel space going straight through the middle of the room when you already had an entrance into that bedroom. If you wanted to get a little light in that bedroom, you could make close it up, but put a transom on top where the door was just to give you some light into the room and, but then make the, make it more functional space. So, I mean, really that's, that's sort of, that, that's sort of the theory behind, you know, interior design is we're trying to, uh, mm. you know, you have a limited, you have, you are like the perfect example. You have a limited amount of space. You should be designing to get, make that space as usable as possible, not employ design elements that you might like in a, in a mansion. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I have to think a lot about this. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Paul. Yeah, no problem, Jeremy. Helpful.
Thanks uh, a lot. Thanks again. All right. Good luck to All you. Right, great. All you right. Too. Take care. All right. Cheers. All right. Bye-bye. You too. I am Felipe Archila, the producer of Calls with Paul. I was thinking about, you know, designing this this apartment or this kitchen, and it's a very tight space. So as a kitchen designer, do you enjoy the challenge of designing a really tight space? Or or do you love the freedom to, to kind of go crazy with a big space? Or kind of, is there a, a difference? Like, do you like them for different reasons? Uh, well, it's a good question. It's a really good question. I mean, one of the things is that in everybody's kitchen, whether it's usually, unless it's an absolutely gigantic space, the the job is almost always the same, is that you want to use the space well, but your inclination is to try to jam too much stuff in the space. And especially in a really tight space, you want to use the space well. So you want the space to be designed well, but if you make it so tight that you can't turn around, you're going to be maybe burning yourself and spilling hot oil on yourself and all kinds of other things. So you still, you know, even if it's a tiny kitchen we're you know, we, we're always constrained by the dimensions of the space and we're trying to maintain, you know, these safe distances that actually work and you can only do what you can do. So something has to get smaller. If you want to have more space you and you're in a tight kitchen, maybe your refrigerator has to get smaller. Maybe your stove has to become a 24-inch wide stove instead of a 30-inch wide stove. Maybe almost always your microwave, if you want to have one, has to go over your stove if you're in a very tight space because that gets the microwave off the countertop. It gives you a a microwave and a fan and a light and those other things. But, um, you know, up until you get to really, really big kitchens, the strategy to design somebody's kitchen is design the best use of the space first and then just fill in whatever's left over. You know, a lot of times people come to us wanting to do the opposite. Here's my wish list of, I would like a cabinet that has a mixer that lifts up. I would like a cabinet that has a pantry thing that it all pulls out. I would like a cabinet that I can pull down to bring spices and things down to the countertop or all, you know, many different kinds of gadgets that they would like to have. Well, the gadgets are great, but you don't design your kitchen around those things. You design the kitchen to be a good use of the space. And then you look around and you say, hey, did you want to have a thing that pulled down for the countertop? Would you want to have a spice pull out under the countertop or, you know, or it, it usually if the, you have the mixer that lifts up out of the countertop or very unusual devices in the kitchen, that's when you have to have a really big kitchen because you're not going to be adding those individual things until you've already gotten a couple of cabinets for pots and pans, a couple of, you know, all the different kinds of things that you're going to need. It's always a challenge and always the best designers are the designers that are able to steer their customer to get those good design choices. In your call with Jeremy, I know that he had a a pretty tight space, so it kind of started spilling over into the bathroom or in terms of like talking about bathroom design, the discussion of like the travel space for doors, Mm -hmm. you know, do you ever moonlight as like a a bathroom designer or (laughs) 
an interior designer in addition to kitchen designs? Sure, because usually kitchen the, the cost of the materials for renovating your kitchen, especially if you have a relatively big kitchen, are you know not inexpensive. Like probably the average kitchen sale that we have in the least expensive brand that we carry. Um, you know, the houses around here aren't particularly small, but might be $13,000 in cabinetry. And, and, you know, that's not a gigantic kitchen. That's a relatively small kitchen, but it's still $13,000 in cabinetry. And then people's countertops might be $3,000 and their appliances might be three or $4,000. And then you have sinks, faucets, handles, flooring, uh, backsplash tile, lighting, the materials that they're buying for an average size kitchen in this area might very well total up to $25,000. And then the construction costs, if they just replaced everything in the room the way it was, might be $20,000 right there because they're gonna have to run new electric lines. They're gonna have to put recessed lighting in the ceiling, under cabinet lighting. They're gonna have to rehook up all the appliances and backsplash tile and flooring and everything else. So it's quite likely if we move stuff around and make some changes or major changes even, they might be spending $25,000 on construction. So now you got a $50,000 project. So the reason I'm giving you that number is if you're spending $50,000 on this kitchen, rearranging all of the walls and, and the whole, all of the rooms in the whole first floor of your house is not going to be that much more expensive. They already have contractors there. They're already ripping stuff apart. They're already doing flooring. They're already doing all the elements if it was $5,000 extra or something like that, you'd be spending $55,000. That, you know, that's only 10% of the cost of the project. If you splurged and didn't get the least expensive cabinets from us and you got custom cabinets, your cabinets might be $30,000. Well, it makes no sense spending an extra $15,000 on cabinets when the layout of your home could be improved. So the answer to your question is, we redesign the whole first floor of people's homes all the time because the cost of their kitchen is the your kitchen and your your kitchen and your bathrooms when you build a new home account for like almost 35, 40% of the cost of the whole home. So that's so much money that when you're redoing the major part of that, which is the kitchens, then you know, there's no you don't do it makes no sense to do it without fixing anything else. We always say, I always say, we're trying to defunkify people's homes. So take the funky out of their home and rearrange it so that it looks nice and it's functional. Then, you know, that's what you want to do. And don't splurge on cabinetry and don't splurge on appliances and don't splurge on all the other materials that you're buying for your kitchen until you've defunkified the first floor of your home because you're not, you're, you're not getting the money back unless you fix those, those things. Thank you for listening to the Mainline Kitchen Design Podcast with nationally acclaimed kitchen designer Paul McElary. This podcast was brought to you by Brighton Cabinetry, high-quality custom cabinetry at competitive prices. For more on kitchen cabinets and kitchen design, go to www.mainlinekitchendesign.com.